Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing here in this chapter. As um, the last two weeks, we've been in this chapter of, of basically uh, these examples that the writer is using, and I'm going to try to keep from saying Paul as I say this. So if I say Paul, somebody like hit the buzzer because I, it isn't necessarily known who the author is, but I think it's Paul, so then I catch myself. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, using these men as examples for us, and as John brought out in, in the first section there, just the substance of faith. What is faith? And, and I loved what John said when he said that faith is, is getting excited now about something that I'm not going to realize until a future date. And that faith allows me to do that. Faith allows me to get excited and to look forward to and even enjoy now something that I have yet to realize. And then last week, Mark shared with us just about the obedience of faith, that faith uh, causes me to obey God even when it seems as though it will take away things that are precious to me. Mark asked us, do we love God more than his gifts? Abraham had to answer that question when he went to the mountain with the gift God had given him. And he was left with the question, God, do I love you more than your gifts? And so we're going to continue looking at these examples that God has written down for us in his word. This is what it looks like. And praise God, these were not perfect men that God, you know, just said, here, be like this guy. Like, these, this is an achievable goal for us all. Obviously, these men failed, and we fail. And so these are great encouragements to see that even in, in and through these failed men, they had a lifestyle of faith before the Lord and one to be modeled in our own life. Hebrews chapter 11, read with me. The section we'll be looking at today is verses 20 through 29. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, the sons of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry, dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Let's just uh, pause and, and just ask the Lord's blessing on our study of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for these examples of faith. God, I pray for our local church body here that is precious in your sight. And God, I ask that you would give us faith like this to see the quote-unquote impossible be realized through your power 
and for your glory. And God, would we lay our lives on the altar as, as these men have gone before us and done as well and, and considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than anything that we might chase after. God, would you give us a heart like that? God, would you stir in the hearts and the men and women and, and boys and girls and, and the young people and the old people and everybody in between in this family of believers, this local body, that you would stir in us a heart of faith like this, God. We ask for it, and we know that you're able to do that. And so we ask in faith and really anticipation for what you're going to do in and amongst us. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of the message this morning is the generational impacts of faith. The generational impacts of faith. As we look at this text that we read, I just I read it over and over and over again and just was, was really uh, stunned and, and blown away by just the generational impacts of choices, simple choices that were made in this text and how that impacted generations to follow. To sum it up, in where, where I'm going with this message and, and where I hope that you follow is the main, the main thesis of the message is that walking by faith means I'm confident in the promises of God, even though they may not happen in my lifetime. The reality of these promises affects how I live now. So because I believe and because I'm so confident in them, that affects how I live now. And how I live now affects those around me causing them to glorify God with a similar life-directing and maybe life-altering faith, okay? So because I am confident in the promises of God, that affects my lifestyle. That affects what I love and what I don't love. It affects who I hang out with and who I don't hang out with. It affects every part of my lifestyle. And then, because I live that way, that has ramifications that reach through generations. You want to change the world? Live by faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings up the question, where did these guys, what's the secret to this faith? Where did these guys get this faith? Was this something that came from inside them? Was this something that they worked at? Where did this faith come from? Where's the source? If this is what we, we were reading this as these things have been written down as an example for us to follow in, that really leads us to the question, where's the source of this come so that we can get it to, okay? So I'd encourage you just to, um, if you want to turn with, these, turn with me, I, I would submit to you this morning the source of the faith that we're talking about. We're not talking about, as John said, it, he, the writer starts out and he just is, it's very abstract. Well, faith is just a substance of things hoped for. But what we're talking about here is a believing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would submit to you that that source of that faith is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter's just introducing himself to the church here, and he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. So this is a faith, Peter says, that's obtained. Look at the rest of the verse. With us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you obtain this faith? It's not by our righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that. It's not by anything we have done, lest we should boast, but is it by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 
1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 13 through 15, in a similar way, Paul is introducing his letter to Timothy, and, and he's sharing his testimony somewhat in an abbreviated fashion. And in verse 13, he says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. In verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Where's that faith and love come from? It is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Familiar verse in Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You really need to look no further than, than our text, just a little bit later in our text here in Hebrews, to see that the Bible is very clear where our source of faith comes from. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God has taken complete responsibility and ownership and authorship, not only for the faith that you have in Him, but He takes responsibility to finish that faith. And, and so, beloved, I would just plead with you, if you want this kind of faith, then fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking with the youth group last night about abiding in Christ. And Jesus just plainly is speaking to His disciples. And, and we talked about how He didn't really use any parables here in this passage. And He wanted them to clearly understand, get this, don't, don't, I don't want to you to be confused. Get this, the only way that you can bear fruit is if you abide in Me. This is the only way that you're going to have this kind of faith that's described in Hebrews 11 is if you are fixing your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at the examples here laid out in the passage this morning. The first one we have here is Isaac, the son of Abraham. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You know, there's not... There's not um, Sometimes it's surprising what the Lord puts down as uh, examples of faith. It wouldn't be, if we wrote Hebrews 11, we might write it differently. Um, but I think it's significant. And just as I was looking at this story, and we don't have time to go there, but in Genesis 27, you see the account of um, Rebecca having... Uh, Jacob and Esau, and, and the Lord promising the younger son would rule over the older son. And then you see the account of, of Jacob stealing the, the blessing and, and deceiving his father and coming in. And, and, and you have Isaac giving Jacob the blessing. And then Esau comes in and finds out, and, and he says, Father, please bless me. And he says, well, I've already given, here's what I've told him. I've, I've already told him that you're going to serve him as the older brother. And I'm going to make a great nation out of him. The Lord God is going to make a great nation out of him. And whom the Lord, who blesses this nation will be blessed. You know, a prophetic passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. And who curses this nation will be cursed. And, and so Isaac has already poured this blessing out on the younger son Jacob. And Esau is distraught and asks for a blessing. And Isaac gives him a blessing as well. But in the blessing, there are elements of a curse there of service to the younger brother. And, and as I was thinking about this in relation to how did Isaac show faith 
in this account? How did he demonstrate faith in the Lord God? And, and, and in just a couple ways of personal application for us to draw out of this is Isaac was constrained by the word and will of God. He did not say, oh, well, I've given Jacob a blessing, but I can make you blessed too. See, no, he understood that this was really not his blessing. This was the Lord's blessing. This was the Lord's will. And almost against his will, Isaac's will, he had to be deceived to follow God's plan. But then I feel like halfway through, he really got it. And by the time Esau arrived in the tent, Isaac had submitted to the Lord's will and said, no, I will not go back and give you another blessing that contradicts the blessing of the Lord. And so by faith, he refused to give his son what his son was asking for. And I just, I couldn't help but think about that in our own lives. I don't know about you, but from time to time, people will come to us as Christians and asking for affirmation for something that God does not approve of. Maybe it's your children, maybe it's a friend, somebody at work. And, and there's a loving way to do it, but I would encourage you to choose faith. And faith says, I will not affirm something that is against the word or will of God. And Isaac did that. He did not affirm something that was against God's will. And so he was confident. And he said, no, this is what the Lord has allowed to happen. This is in the Lord's plan. It wasn't necessarily what he chose. Isaac's first, it wasn't Isaac's preference. And yet he was confident in the Lord and was constrained by the word and will of God. And I would encourage you in your relationships to allow the authority of God's word to govern what you say and what you don't. Don't affirm things that are against God's will just to curry favor. Um, love them enough to speak the truth of God's word into their life. Whether this is your kids or your friends or coworkers, teacher at school, um, it can be done in a respectful, loving way, but would encourage you to live by faith in that area of your life. The second example here we have is the faith of Jacob. The faith of Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. The account here in Genesis 48, 15 through 16, talks about Jacob is, apparently gets sick, and he, and he knows that his, his time is drawing to an, to an end, and he calls for Joseph to bring his sons in. And uh, so Ephraim and Manasseh and, and Joseph arrive, and, and it says that when Jacob hears that they arrive, that he strengthens himself and, and sits up in the bed. And then from, from Hebrews' account, it seems like maybe he either stands up and gets out of bed, or maybe he's sitting on the side of the bed, leaning on the staff. And, and he um, begins to bless Joseph's sons. And I want, to, I want you to turn here. I want to take the time to turn here because... Um, I was really looking for the worship here, and I didn't remember it until I turned to the text. So I want you to appreciate this as well, because I remembered this, this, this account of, of Jacob blessing uh, Joseph's sons, but I, had, I did not remember the, the worship in the account. So I'm reading Hebrews, and I keep seeing that J Jacob worship. I'm like, where did he worship? So turn back with me to Genesis 48. Genesis chapter 48. 
15 and 16. This is the blessing that he's giving Joseph's sons and Joseph himself. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named among them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Do you see the worship there? Even in the blessing, Jacob worshipped the Lord. Here you have this, this living legend, really. Jacob is the grandfather, and he's, and he's passing on this blessing to, to Joseph, Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and, and, and you get the idea, he calls them lads, you get the idea that these guys are, are young boys, and they're seeing this, this living legend passing on before them. And Jacob could have taken this opportunity to really cement his name uh, before these guys, and he just gives glory to God. He says, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. He understood that his sustenance, his provision was not done through the work of his hand, but the Lord's provision. And he gave glory to God for, for what God had allowed him to do and what God had allowed him to accomplish in his life. And then he goes on to say, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. What a statement there. And you wonder how much of that did he even understand as he's saying these words? but he worshiped the Lord before his grandsons. And I, I, would, I would just, I think the application here is so obvious. Men especially, I plead with you to worship Jesus Christ before your families. Grand, grandpas, worship Jesus Christ unashamedly before your families. You know, before providing, teaching, correcting, entertaining, um, you fill in the list. Before any of that, the most important thing you can do in your home and in your family is worship Jesus Christ before them. Amen. I mean, you think of all the things that Jacob accomplished and in the last two hours of his life or maybe the last 48 hours, this is what ends up in Hebrews 11. That moment by the side of the bed, leaning on his staff, struggling for the air to breathe and just like... That's it? That, that was the most important, and he almost missed it. May, that not, may it not be on your deathbed, brothers, but may that be the lifestyle in your home that your kids are used to seeing you worship Jesus Christ before your families. That is generational impact. Faith of Joseph here in 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. So Joseph here is now on his deathbed. It's interesting, there isn't much um, said between the time that his dad died, although there was a lot of time that went by. There isn't much said between the time Jacob died and when Joseph died until just one chapter later in Genesis 49 22 through 26, in those short four verses, you see the account of Joseph's death, and he gathers his, his family around him, and he too was given the luxury of knowing that time is near. And so he gave them some last-minute instructions. And as I was thinking about the options before Joseph in his death, what were his options 
in death. He was an Egyptian um, prince, uh, really second to no one but Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And he could have had his choice of the finest tombs there. My sister just got back from Egypt and you know, it was talking about, yeah, you go there and you're, you're looking at real bodies still. It's just incredible what they were able to do. And Joseph had that opportunity to be embalmed and placed in a, in a monument like that. So he could have done that. And I, I think we all understand why Joseph didn't do that. He identified with his father's family. He identified with his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And he said, I am, I am Joseph, the son of Jacob, son of Abraham and Isaac. That's who I am. His identity was not in his occupation. His identity was in who he was born into in his family. And ultimately, his identity was in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the obvious choice for Joseph was not to be buried in the pyramids, to be buried in, in the Egyptian way, but to be buried back in the quote-unquote promised land. And so then, the ob- then, so then, well, why didn't he just asked to be carried back like they carried his dad back. Okay, so that would not have been an ungodly request for Joseph to make. I think you could make the argument it would have been ungodly for him to request to be buried with the Egyptians. That would have been a mistake. But why did Joseph ask for them to hang on to his box of bones? Now, I, I really think the reason why is because Joseph... Because of Joseph's faith, he wanted to be buried in the promised land, but he wanted to prove to them that he was so sure God was going to take his people back to the promised land that he said, you hang on to my bones. I'm so sure God's going to complete what he said he would do. You hang on to my bones here until God takes the nation back. And so Joseph did not hedge his bets, so to speak, but said it's all or nothing You keep my bones here until the Lord takes our nation back. Well, right now they're a family. But Joseph says, no, you wait here, and God's going to bring a nation out of this place for the glory of his name. And I think about those people as they're in slavery, still hanging on to that box that was Joseph's, and thinking about the relationship Joseph had with the Lord, his ability to interpret dreams, his ability to know that there was a famine coming, and basically through Joseph, the, the world, the civilized world was saved. And think of the security and the hope that must have given these slave, enslaved people to know that that guy, hundreds of years ago, knew the Lord so well that he was willing to wait in the box to be carried back. And there must be still hope, because we still see his box here. So there must still be hope that the Lord will complete what he said he would do. And you think about the faith of that one man generationally perhaps impacting a nation and allowing them to continue to hang on to what probably seemed like a sliver of hope in that box that represented one man's faith that God was able to complete the promises he had made to Abraham. Great faith impacting generations. This and so as we, as we look at Joseph's example, I just want to ask you, where's your identity in this morning? And that's really an easy question. 
It needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, there's no wondering about that. If your identity is in something else, you're living in sin. That's the easy question. Don't be buried in Egypt. That's the easy one. And then what choices are you making that will generationally impact? These are not necessarily right or wrong choices, but these are choices saying, because I believe God's Word's true, I'm going to do this. And I can't fill in the blanks for you because that's not the point. The point is is that you're walking by faith before the Lord. Your whole life is on on the table, so to speak, saying, Lord, what, what are you asking me to do? You're in God's Word looking at His promises and saying, yes, I'm 100% confident this is true. I'm not going to hedge my bets and have, you know, hopefully well, I have a comfortable life here and then hopefully a comfortable life there and, and try to hedge. No, it's all in or nothing here is what's described. And Joseph just lays it out for us of where our heart needs to be if we're going to walk in this kind of faith. The last example here we have of Moses, and really it's broader than that, starts out with Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed. In verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. And so we see here a godly heritage, once again, brought out in this passage of Jochebed and Amram. And as, as George talked about earlier in this series, this, this phrase of, Joseph, or of Moses being beautiful in the sight of his parents, you get the sense that it's, it's more than just because he was good looking, they decided to save him. And if he would have been born ugly, they would have uh, just, you know let him go. I mean, it just, it doesn't, that does not make sense. Um, you get the sense that because they're of their faith in who God was and is, and that they were informed by God in some way that this son of theirs was special. And the Lord had a plan for Moses' life. And so, I love it. They feared God more than the king. And the applications there are obvious for us as well. Where does our first fear need to come from? Does it come from life experience or, or from um, outside influence? Or what are people going to think? Or is their fear of the Lord, uh, is our fear of the Lord number one? And so they feared the Lord no matter the consequence and hid their son. And then verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, once again like Joseph, not identifying with the people of Egypt, which would be a picture of sin and, and, and slavery really, but for, for Joseph and Moses both, it was, a, it was not uh, leaving an awful lifestyle. For them, it was leaving the most wonderful lifestyle you could imagine. And yet, they continued to leave it because they considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than passing pleasures of sin. And so Moses refuses all of that. He chooses a different lifestyle. And uh, I think about that, the choices Moses made. I wonder if he knew when he was making him what those consequences would be, both good and bad, and I don't think he probably did. And I don't think we do either. If you look back on the choices that you've made, in your life, did you fully understand what the ramifications of those would be? No, both good and bad. And so, just know that. Know that we're constantly making choices. Filter those out by what is the eternal value or 
consequences of the choices I'm making today, this week, next year, next 10 years. Moses made choices based on eternal value, not temporary value. He goes on to say, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And then he uses this word endurance, enduring. So this is not just a decision that he made and then vacillated back and forth, but this faith allowed him to endure. Seeing him who is invisible. Couldn't help but think of uh, Dennis Anderson and, and his prayers so often in, in the breaking of bread service as he prays when these eyes of faith give way to sight. And there is a day when we will see who is invisible. But through eyes of faith, we can do that now. And Moses did that now. He saw him who was invisible, and that's how he endured. You know, Hebrews 12, too, again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that's where our eyesight needs to be. That will enable us, strengthen us, allow us to endure, allow us to continue to forsake the Egypt of our lives, allow us to stand boldly in the face of a wrathful king. I mean, these are incredible against all odds type things that Moses did. It wasn't him. It was the fact that he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. And that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. The most, um, I don't know about you, but when I have a problem, or, or whether it's business or relationship or, or other health, like that's all you can think about, right? It, it occupies all of your thoughts, and everything reminds you of that. And um, that's because my eyes have gotten off to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you this morning that if you're in one of those times, that's not your most pressing problem. Your most pressing problem is that you've gotten your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so endure. When these hard times come, when things would come in that would cause you to question, have I made the right decision? Have I chosen wisely? Is this really worth it? Yes, Lord, but look what's happening. Endure. Continue to focus on the Lord. Moses obeyed the Lord, as, as Mark brought out last week. Moses obeyed the Lord in the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. And then Moses led the people. You see there, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Exodus 14, 9-15, the account of the people of Israel being at the Red Sea, Egypt's behind them, Red Sea's in front of them. They have nowhere to go. And Moses you know, stands strong before the people and says, stand still today, you will see the salvation of the Lord. That's leadership based on not some strong man with um, a great vision. It wasn't Moses's. Moses, I don't think, had any idea how the Lord was going to save the people at that time. He just knew the Lord. God was one that would keep His word. And he knew him to be faithful. So his role in leadership was to continue to point people to Christ and say, don't look at me, 
Look at the Lord. Stand still. You'll see the salvation of the Lord. And that kind of leadership, that kind of faith has generational impacts that affect those around us. And we see here in verse 29 that it broadens it out, not just Moses that passed through the Red Sea by faith, but the whole entire nation by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. And just so that we are clear, it isn't the mode of how we do things that saves us because the Egyptians went through the same sea, but they had no faith in the God of Abraham. They were trying to kill everything that he was about. And so the sea covered them up. And so just a clear picture of uh, faith being the differentiating factor in, in even these two people groups as they both pass through the same waters. And so praise God for Moses' faith that they get to the other side and, and as they look back and they see the Egyptians swallowed up in the sea, the Bible says that the, that the people of Israel believed Moses and they believed the Lord his God. That was, a, that, was a moment, that, was a, that was a pivotal moment in this early nation's history where one man's faith, when everyone else was panicking, there on the Red Sea shore changed on the other side where the entire people group said, yeah, this is real. Well, in closing, just want to ask you, kind of back to where we started, where is your confidence at this morning and who you are in Jesus Christ. Again, our definition this morning, walking by faith means I'm confident in the promises of God, even though they may not happen in my lifetime. The reality of these promises affects how I live now, and how I live now affects those around me, causing them to have like faith. How confident are you in who you are in Jesus Christ? This morning? That's a really important question because it's going to affect the choices that you make that will determine your lifestyle. I was driving in the truck with my youngest son, Drake, and Ty, my oldest son, a couple weeks ago. Shared this story in men's Bible study a couple weeks ago. Um, We were driving in the truck, and uh, Drake's learning lots of new words, and and, Somebody must have been telling him about adoption or something. And so he's in the back seat, and he says, uh, just completely out of the blue, he says to me, he goes, hey, Dad, he goes, "Um, are you going to adopt me? And I I heard it, and it took me a second. I was like, what? He goes, Dad, are you going to adopt me? And I could tell by the way he was asking me that whoever had told him what adoption was um, hadn't given him all the details. And his idea of adoption was he was leaving our family, going somewhere else. And I said, so I caught on pretty fast. So I didn't say, oh, yeah, you're adopted. You're my son. You know what I mean? Like, then he's like, for sure, it's over. I'm gone, you know? So I said to him, I said, no, I'm not going to adopt you. I would never do that. And he said, well, well, if you do adopt me, I'm calling the police. <laughs> and I could t- he was shook up about it. And, and, I, and I sat there and I thought about that and I thought about my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And it was in that moment that I was in the front seat driving 
trying to convince my son that I would never adopt him in the way he was thinking. That I would never sell him or remove him from my home. I told him, I turned around and I was driving, I turned around and I looked him in the eye and I said, son, you're, you're always going to be my son. You're, that's never changing. I don't care what you do. You're always going to be my son. And I thought about that, my relationship with the Lord. And it brought me up short that my only concern as a dad was not, will I lose him or not? Oh man, I don't know. My only concern was, does he realize my love for him? That was my only concern in that moment. And, and my, my plea to you this morning is, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've been born again, don't sit in the back seat and ask God if He's going to adopt you in that way. Don't ask God, God, are you going to keep me as your son? Or, or is there a chance I'm out? That's not faith. Faith rests confidently in the promises of God that there's nothing that can take away this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ because God's the one that keeps His promises. Amen. And that kind of faith, that kind of confidence will change the choices that you make. I've got a guy working for me that um, is uh, Bosnian and he's a, I, he's a Muslim. And we were eating supper the other night and he... he we were all sitting around the table. We were on the road, a whole crew sitting around the table. And he says to me, he goes, hey, we're talking about drinking or something. He goes, uh, that God stuff is pretty important to you, isn't it? Like living for God must be really important to you. And I don't really talk with the guys at work about my faith in an open way. I wait for them to kind of bring it up in situations like those. And I was like, okay, this is, this is the opportunity, Lord. And, and so I just started sharing with him. And I just said, yeah, he is. I said, it's really important. And I just told them, I, I said, because they were asking me if I, if, I, if I drank alcohol or not. And this isn't a message about alcohol, and if you drink, that's fine. But I personally have chosen not to, and so I shared that with them. And I, and I said, I've had alcohol before, but I said, I've never been drunk in my life. And I'm, I don't know if I should be proud of that or not, but it just is what it is. I'm just telling you guys, I'm being honest with you, you know. And so I was just sharing with them, and he's like, why? You know, what, what? And I said, well, it's not because the Bible refuses that to happen. I said, the Bible talks about, you know, not being drunk, so that's kind of an obvious one, but I said, that's not really it. I said, it's just more because here's the deal. I believe Jesus Christ died to save me from my sins, so my whole life is about thanking him. So it's not about, oh, Lord, you know, I'm going to just give you this little part, no alcohol, or whatever. Pick your thing, okay? That's not the point. The point is my whole life, because I'm confident in what God has done for me, now that affects my lifestyle, the choices that I make. So I just shared with them, like, this is, this is a lifestyle. It's not just, yes, you're right. This God thing is really important to me. It's my whole purpose for living. I said, look around the world. Do you see purpose? I said, you just, yeah, go, go ahead, make a lot of money, and then what? What are you going to do with it? I asked the guys that. I said, what, what's, your, what's your purpose? If you think that's my purpose, it's not. My purpose is, is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I find my purpose, and I don't find it in anything else. And, and so the, 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 my confidence, and I'm not sharing this to build myself up, I'm just telling you that the confidence that I have in Christ then allows me uh, to, to define what choices am I going to make in my life. And then as God gives opportunity, may that faith uh, affect others for the Lord's glory.
Just, I want to read to you, uh, just in closing, um, just the, the, the first verse of the hymn, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let your assurance in Christ Jesus overwhelm the way you do life. Just let that be your story. The assurance of your walk with the Lord Jesus, your relationship. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, that can start today. Cry out to Him. He is more than able to save. You know, in that story of Isaac, I'm just so blessed that the story of Isaac where the blessing was limited to Esau and, and Jacob and, and the, the blessing's already gone. It can't be, you know, there can't, there's no more room for blessing. Praise God. You want to talk about a story in Hebrews that talks about Christ's sacrifice being greater than what they experienced in the Old Testament? Praise God that the blessings of salvation are not limited. Oh, you know, somebody's already gotten saved this morning. Nobody else can get saved today. We're over the limit. There's no limit to the love of God. That sacrifice is greater that Jesus Christ. There's no limit this morning. And so I just encourage you, if you don't know this blessed assurance, you can. And it's so simple. Just cry out to the Lord Jesus and ask Him. And then to those of you that do, you know, Hebrews 11 is this account of failed people who had faith given by God and chose to obey and act on that faith. And these, these are the stories. But what, what would be written of your life? What would be written of yours? Someday you're going to die and your story will be closed. And what would be the account written about you? What did you choose to do by faith? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these examples. Thank you for the example of Isaac trusting your word and your will of Jacob worshiping before his family, Joseph identifying with, with who you are and not what he did. Thank you for Moses forsaking all else and just following hard after you, God, and leading a nation out of slavery. God, thank you that your grace is not limited and that the, thank you for the blessed assurance of knowing you and the life-giving purpose that gives to us. God, I pray often there's one thing that your spirit works in my heart, and I don't know if that's the way it is with others here this morning, but I pray if there's one thing that you're knocking on some heart doors about, am I going to choose to follow you by faith or live for this world? I pray that you would, Lord, would your spirit give faith in full measure that would give them the ability to obey your call on their life. God, we know that you're demanding. You want us all. You don't want just Sunday morning from us. You want a complete lifestyle change of abandonment of all else. Walking by faith before you. And so, Lord, what a privilege to do that. I pray in anticipation and excitement about what you're going to do in the lives represented here. And we look forward to hearing about it someday in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in faith.
this week, and the Lord bless you in Jesus' name.